Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6 is where I want to read. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God has ta- had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity to gather. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time as we look at the Scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when we very often when we talk about a man who has uh, many skills, he can, perhaps he's a father and he also is a truck driver and perhaps on the weekend he's a fisherman, and then on another day perhaps he has another job that he does. He's just, sometimes we use the phrase, jack of all trades, but other times we might use this terminology, he wears many hats. You understand what that means? You could say he is a father, a fisherman, a truck driver. He wears all of these hats, and you picture him, he's got his dad hat on, and he puts his fisherman hat on, and he puts his trucker hat on, he wears many hats. Well, When we search the Scriptures, we learn that our God, in this same sense, wears many hats. Not only does He have these attributes, but He has these these various, again, I don't know a better way to put it than than hats that He wears. For example, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we learn that God is Creator. In Hebrews 1 and verse 3, God is sustainer. He upholds all things by the word of His power. In Hebrews 1.1, He is revealer. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. He reveals Himself. He is revealer. When we read Psalms like Psalm 19 and then Psalm 119, we see that God is instructor. God is teacher, his commander. In Job 19 and verse 25, we read, I know that my Redeemer lives. God is Redeemer. In Psalm 16 and verse 1, God is preserver, protector. In Psalm 17 and verse 7, God is Savior. In Psalm 18 and verse 2, He is deliverer. Psalm 23 in verse 2, we learn that He is shepherd, He is leader, He leads me beside still waters. He wears many hats. Well, tonight from our confession, we're going to see yet another one of these many hats that God wears. Notice this next phrase in our confession as we walk through these attributes. Not one that's typically included in a study of the attributes of God, but it says that God is the rewarder of them 
that diligently seek Him. And again, that, like many of the other phrases in this chapter, that phrase is taken straight from Scripture. We just read it. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. This phrase is taken from the older translation. He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Now, most of you know the topic in Hebrews chapter 11 is faith. We often call it the hall of faith. And when we read through the chapter, we are, we are given these accounts of the active faith of the saints of the Old Testament in almost a bullet point fashion. Consider this person, by faith here, by faith here, by faith here. And we're just reading of all that they've done in faith. And when we come to verse 5, we run into this man, Enoch. The seventh from the Lord. By faith, Enoch was taken up that he should not see death. He was found, for he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. So the topic is faith, and here, the point, the, the point of the author, he's setting out in verse 6 to justify his statement in verse 5 that Enoch was a man of faith. In verse 5, by faith Enoch. And then in verse 6, he begins by saying, without faith, here's the sort of the logical train of thought. Enoch was taken up by faith. Before Enoch was taken up, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Therefore, Enoch had faith. It's almost like a syllogism. So the topic is faith. Here's specifically the faith of Enoch. And the goal that's being addressed here is nearness to God in this book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, we read these words. Therefore, brothers... You go through the book of Hebrews, you're seeing all the, the greatnesses of Christ as He supersedes all of the Old Testament, uh, the Old Covenant systems and, and ways of doing things. Chapter 10, Christ is a better sacrifice. Chapter 9, Christ is a better sanctuary. Chapter 8, He's the, the better uh, high priest of a better covenant. And then we come to this section in chapter 10 where it says, Therefore, in light of all of that and all of the goodnesses of Christ, how He supersedes all of these things, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened, us, opened for us through the curtain, that is through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near in full assurance and faith. And notice how that connects with chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. By faith Enoch, and verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. The topic is faith. But the goal of that topic, faith is not an end in itself, remember. Faith is the means by which we gain access to God. If you're going to get into the presence of God, you have to have a ticket. That ticket is the person of Jesus Christ. Faith is the, the, the hand by which we reach out and take our ticket. We take hold of Christ by faith, 
And then we are allowed to draw near into the presence of God. So we, we must have faith, but the goal is not to stop at faith. The goal is to use that to take hold of Christ and draw near to God. Then he restates that, that same topic, really. For whoever would draw near to God must believe. Now, that word believe is the same word used for faith here and throughout the Scriptures. The object of this faith, and I stole this from Thomas Manton, the being and bounty of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe, and here's the object of the faith, must believe that He, that is God, exists and that He rewards. Now this is obviously not an exhaustive list of what must be believed in order to be a Christian. I do believe underneath these headings, the being and bounty of God, we could list every necessity of belief for salvation. They, they, all, they all do flow out of this, but this is not meant to be reductionistic. Just believe that there is a God and that He does nice things. The literal reading of this, and this is the older translations say this, uh, whoever would uh, draw near to God must believe that He is. That's what it says. It, it, the, the word there is, it doesn't say that He exists. It's, it's a, the word of being. That He is presently existing or being. That He is. You must believe that He is. We can take that all the way back to Exodus. I am who I am. And all of the attributes that we've seen that flow out of the fact that God am, that He is, not that He is there or is there or was there or will be there. He is all of the being of God and also that He rewards, that He gives. Well, who would, who would believe that God gives except someone who realizes they have a need for something to be given? You see, you, you, could, you could trace this out, but that's not the point. So we must believe in the being and bounty of God. He's giving these... these things that are required to be believed in. And then notice the recipients of this bounty. They must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So those who seek God are the ones who are rewarded by God. Here's the point of that quick exposition. This text, Hebrews eleven six, 6, in this, this section of it, is addressing an attribute of God that must be taken hold of by faith by those who would draw near to Him. In other words, this is essential in our belief. Anyone who would come into the presence of God through Christ must believe that God is rewarder of those who seek Him. You have to believe that. If you do not believe that God is and that He is rewarder, you will not know Him. And so the doctrine, just like the confession states, God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now let's open that up. God is rewarder. The ESV says, He rewards. But it, the word rewards is actually a noun. In, in, our, in English, He rewards. Rewards would be a verb. In, in the original, it's a noun. So it, it says, if you read it literally, 
he or rewarder he is being. So it's, it's giving him a title. It's putting a hat on him. Truck driver, dad, fisherman, rewarder. Telling us about the being of God. One commentator on this language says that this, the language is telling us that it comes to pass or that God proves to be habitually rewarder. This is who God is. He rewards. It is who God is to be rewarder. Not simply that He does rewards, but that He is rewarder. So that brings us to the question, what is a reward? It is a thing given in recognition of one's service. Someone's effort, someone's achievement. That's a reward. And so a rewarder is one who commits himself to give something in recognition of one's service or achievement. A rewarder is a debtor by his own promise. So, when I think of reward, I say the word reward. I'm going to offer a reward. Everybody immediately pictures a lost dog, right? With the sign stapled to the telephone pole. Someone's lost their dog. They put up signs and they say, I'm offering a reward. $100 to anybody who can find my dog. They become the rewarder. Something must be done to earn the reward. But the reward is not earned based on merit. It's based on the riches and the promise of the rewarder. They could put up a sign that says, lost dog, find it, and we'll tell you, we'll shake your hand. But if they've got money to spend on finding a dog, they'll say, hey, I'll, I'll even give money. I'll reward the person who finds this dog. Now, let's say we all come to this sign, lost dog, $5,000 reward. We all set ourselves to looking after this dog. Many people are laboring. Some people immediately run to the store and they buy flashlights and they buy dog whistles and they spend many hours searching. They drive up and down the streets. They use a lot of gas in their cars to find the dog and they don't find the dog. They've got a lot invested. They've given a lot of time to it. They don't get the reward. Somebody else might walk out their back door in the morning to take the trash out, and there's the dog. They did almost nothing, but they still get the reward. You see, a reward is not earned just based on labor. It's not a one-to-one -one payment for labor. It's a reward for achieving whatever the end was that was set forth by the rewarder. The rewarder says, you do this, I'll give you this. Or you achieve that end. And so reward is not equal payment to everyone. It's a singular payment to the one who achieves the goal. And a rewarder is a debtor by his own promise out of his own wealth only to those who meet the stipulations. God is rewarder. God is a debtor by his own promise according to his own riches to those who attain to His stipulations. This verse is laying those out. God rewards. He is rewarder. God rewards those who seek Him. And this is the stipulation set forth by God. It is both inclusive and exclusive. It's completely inclusive. Any and all without exception who seek God will be rewarded. They will receive the reward. And it's also exclusive in that only those 
and no more who seek God will receive this reward from Him. It's not for everybody who claims to be religious. It's not for everyone who goes to church. It's not for everyone who claims to be a Christian. It's not for everyone who does good deeds of service. It's exclusively for those who seek God. God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If you are to know God as rewarder, then you must seek Him. Right? God may give many good gifts to many men who never seek Him. As I thought about this, I thought about the, 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 the great uh, debate, the ongoing debate over common grace. What should we call it? it is, is it not amazing that we have a God that is so good to so many people that we don't even know what to call the fact that He's good to everybody? We're arguing about what we're going to call it rather than, you know what, God's good. I mean, we can call it what, whatever we want to call it, but He's good. And we have, but He gives many good gifts to many men who never seek Him. And many men, whether they know it or not, experience God as creator. They experience Him as sustainer. They, experiencing, they experience Him as protector. Someday, someday they will see Him as judge. But if you are to receive this reward, the reward to which God has indebted Himself to give to a certain people, then you must seek Him. A lot of people will know all of these other hats. They'll see God as judge but they won't know Him as rewarder. God rewards those who seek Him. If you are to know Him as rewarder, then you must seek God. So then what's the question that follows that? What does it mean to seek God? We have these phrases, you know, these biblical phrases, we throw them out, just seek the Lord. What does that mean? We know He's not lost, so we're not... We're not, we're not literally seeking Him like we're trying to find Him. He's hidden somewhere. God is, is omnipresent. He's in all places completely. All of God is in all places at all times, everywhere. He's not lost. We've already seen that God is without body. And, so, and that also He's a spirit and that He is invisible. So we're not seeking after Him with our physical eyes. We're not walking around looking for God. Romans 3.11 says, No one understands, no one seeks for God. There, I do believe he's speaking of natural men in their natural condition. Unbelievers don't seek for God. So this seeking must be something only a believer does. This seeking is a means of drawing near to God. We know that this nearness to God will only be fully consummated when we're standing in His presence in glory. So this seeking must be a li the lifelong disposition of a believer. As a Christian, you're going to do this your whole life, your whole Christian life, until the day when the seeking is done and you see Him face to face. So what is it to seek the Lord? What does it mean? Well, let's look at a couple passages of Scripture. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. 
Now, I think it's fairly obvious these are parallel statements. This would be what we would call a Hebrew uh, parallelism, saying the same thing in different ways. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. So seeking and calling upon Him are sort of parallel ideas. I think calling upon Him is probably a reference to prayer. Seeking, calling out to God in dependent prayer for His presence, they're synonymous. What is seeking? Well, here we see it's, it's calling out to God in prayer for His presence. Okay, 2 Chronicles 14.4. 2 Chronicles 14.4. Here King Asa commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. Now here, I wouldn't say this is a parallelism, but it does seem that seeking the Lord and keeping the law are near parallels. They are related to each other. And you see that played out in in any of the, 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 the revivals or the restorations Uh, during these times in Israel, it always centered around seeking the Lord and going back to doing what God had said to do. Remember that keeping the law in the Old Covenant was the means by which they secured the blessings. The Old Covenant says, you do this, you'll stay in the land. I'll bless you. You don't do it, you're out. So seeking here and pursuing God's blessings through obedience seem to be synonymous. Going after what you know God has commanded you to do is related at least closely with seeking the Lord. And then look at Psalm 105, 4. Psalm 105 and verse 4. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. So here, we're we're just given sort of the things we're we're after when we're seeking the Lord. We're we're after the Lord, we're after His strength, we're after His presence. We're we're trying to take hold of, we're trying to come into seizure of the power and presence of God. Seeking and calling upon Him in dependent prayer for His presence. Seeking and going after what we know God has commanded us to do. Seeking the power and the presence of God. What does it mean to seek God? Here's, Here's my answer. To seek God is to earnestly desire an intimacy with God that brings you into a more direct and immediate experience of His transforming grace. And this is the lifelong disposition of a Christian. This is what your job is every single day. 
earnestly desire an intimacy with God that brings you into a more direct and immediate experience of His transforming grace. The Christian upon regeneration is set looking and seeking after God. At, at conversion, or at, we, we use the, the broader word salvation, God brings to life a believer. He, through the effectual call, they're called from death to life. They are regenerated by the power of the Spirit. They are made a new creation. And that new creation, by the power of the Spirit, all of a sudden has a spiritual understanding about at least two things themselves as vile sinner, and Christ as precious Savior. We look at ourselves, uh-oh. We look at Christ, that's what I need. And we run that way. That's conversion. Turning from sin and running after Christ. And all of that happens, you know, really, really quick. It's hard to discern it in the moment. But we look at Him, and we begin seeking after Him. And from that moment until we're standing physically in His presence, that's what we do all the time, is we're constantly going after Him, beholding Him. And as we behold Him, what does the Scripture say? We are transformed from from glory to glory. It's almost like this. Every step is is just, we, we use the phrase, living paycheck to paycheck. Sanctification is sight to sight. I'm living from sight of Christ to sight of Christ. And I'm looking, and I need more, and I need more, and I need it more, and i got to get closer, and i got to get closer, and as I get closer, I am sanctified just by that look and the process of going after that look. I'm seeking Him. I'm seeking, I'm earnestly desiring an intimacy with God that will bring me into a more direct and immediate experience of His transforming grace. That's what it means to seek God. Now what is the reward? God rewards those who diligently seek Him. Well, in the present, it's that transforming grace that comes through this personal presence of God by His Spirit through faith. Right now, we're, we're looking through faith. We're looking through a dim glass. So we can't see everything clearly. We can see more than, than they could in the Old Testament. But we can't see fully, clearly. So we're looking by faith. But as we behold Christ, or God in Christ by faith, we come into to contact with His Spirit. And you've all heard the, the washer illustration of the guy who says, I got hit by a truck and nobody believes him because if you get hit by a truck, it's going to show. Well, this is what happens. When you come into direct communion with God, you change. You experience transforming grace. Now, that, that, that could mean a lot of different things, but that's what happens. I meet with God, and I'm different when I'm finished. I walk away, change. That's what happens in the present. That's the present reward. Transforming grace. And then ultimately in glory, the reward will be the personal presence of God. There would be no greater and more appropriate reward for those who set themselves to seek after the presence and power of God than to give them the power and presence of God. That's what we're seeking. That's what we get. And in glory, there would be no more suitable reward for those who have sought after God than what? God. You get God. God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We're seeking Him. 
It's kind of like looking for the dog and you find it and they say, well, you get to keep the dog. But this is a lot better. Those who seek God, get God. He's the rewarder and He is the reward. You see, this, this kind of thinking is the only real prescription for the prosperity gospel. Set forth God in Christ as the great reward. Well, what do I get if I come to, to believe in your, your Savior? You get my Savior. What, what do I get if I, if I believe this? Well, you get God. You get Him, His, His presence. So then, by way of application, what does this teach us? If we believe that God is rewarder, and that He rewards those who seek Him, then we have one point of application, right? Seek God. Seek after God. Go after that intimacy with God that brings you into a more direct and immediate experience of His transforming grace. If I look on my car and I see a, a mud smear, which is not uncommon. I see a mud smear. And I get out the water hose, I roll out the water hose, and I turn it on jet, because it's been there for a while, the sun's baked it in. I turn the hose to jet, and I stand 20 feet away and spray. i got to spray up in the air and wait as the water goes up and over the arch and all the way down to the stain. And by the time it gets there, it's just barely sprinkling it. It's going to do nothing. It's going to leave no effect. But if I walk up really close, it's going to hit quicker, harder, faster, and the stain's gone. That is a picture of a more direct and immediate experience of transforming grace. The water gets there faster, it gets there harder. That's what we're after. You're seeking that. So, what do we do? Two things, I think. Well, two headings, and then there are a lot of things we do. But there must be first these two things. If you are going to seek after God to come into a more direct and immediate experience of His transforming grace, first, you must have a true desire for God's presence and power. You must really, and, and I, nobody can discern this but you and God, if it's real or not. This is where the believer is set apart from the unbeliever. An unbeliever can talk all day about what they want to happen, but a believer knows in their heart whether or not they truly desire this presence and power of God. The, truly desire the nearness of communion and the effectual work of the Spirit that happens when we are in communion with God. There must be a true desire for the felt presence of God. You have to really want things like God to show you your sin. It's easy to say, well, I would love an emotional feeling. It's not always easy to say, Lord, I'd appreciate it if you'd show me my sins. But that, you have to want that. You have to really have a true desire for power over your sin. Again, it's very easy to say, well, I'm just an old rotten sinner. And in the back of your mind you're thinking, and I kind of like it that way, and I like my sin. It's a lot different to have a true desire for God's presence and power over sin where you're willing to say, while I have lived in that for a while and it's, it's got a hold on me, I'm ready to be done with it. I hate it. And you have to have that that desire. You have to have a, a true desire for God's power unto holiness. Not just putting away sin, but actually pursuing holiness. A lot of people desire these types of things for the wrong reasons. You know? I've got to get my life cleaned up. 
I look at my life. My life is in shambles. Here's what I need to, need to do to get my act together. That's not it. That's not seeking after God. He doesn't say God rewards those who diligently seek to get their act together. He rewards those who diligently seek Him. So there must be a true desire for God's presence and power. As we read, I believe it was chapter 10. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. Singular, focused, heart, fully assured that this is where I need to go and what I want. We draw near with a true heart and full assurance. You see, Judas drew near to Christ. He got close enough to kiss Him. The purpose of the kiss was to get the money. He wanted something else besides Christ. That's, that's, that's not a true heart and full assurance of faith. A lot of people act like they want the power and the presence of God and, and I want all of these things, but they, just, they want it for another reason beyond God. So there has to be a true desire for God's presence and power. And then there must be a true labor for God's presence and power. Anything that you do not have, but that you really desire, you're going to do something to get it. If you're not doing something to get it, you don't want it. Do not say, I want God's presence and God's power in my life, and then you don't do anything. You don't change. If you're not willing to reorder your life, if you're not willing to reschedule things, reprioritize, make drastic changes in your habits, rid yourself of gospel-draining interests. I didn't say sinful, I just said gospel-draining. You get finished with it and you're not thinking, I love the Lord Jesus even more having done that. That's a gospel-draining interest. You give yourself to the things of God wholeheartedly. I like it when I hear the men talking about, you know, we're texting each other to make sure we're up early and stuff like that. That's, that's hard. That's doing something. i got to do something. So whatever i got to do, you got to do something. A true labor for God's presence and power. you got to want it, and then you got to do something. Jesus says in John 6, 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. Work for spiritual food. Now that's not works righteousness, but it is a pursuit after Christ. There is something you must do. You truly desire it. You truly labor for it. So what's the labor that will bring you into a more direct, immediate experience of God's transforming grace? What's the labor that brings the water hose closer to the stain on the car? This is going to surprise a lot of you, I think. I believe that this labor that will bring you into a more direct and immediate experience of God's transforming grace is to simply use the regular means of grace with your heart and your mind set to seek God. The regular stuff. And we've already defined seek after God to, to pursue that nearness to God, your heart and your mind are set. I want to be near to God. I'm set. 
I really desire His power and His presence. I must have that intimacy. What do I do? Read your Bible, pray, go to church. We can be certain that a use of the means of grace without the proper motivation, without a heart and mind to seek after God, can give no guarantee of positive benefit or outcome. Now, that tends to lead people to say, well, if I don't feel like doing it, I guess I just won't do it. No. You seek the Lord for a change of heart. The ordinary means of grace. Diligent study of the Word of God. Consistent, habitual, private prayer. Attending to the public means of grace and worship. Let me unpack those quickly. The Scriptures are the Word of God where He speaks. He reveals His mind, His will, His purposes, His intentions, His expectations. We learn what He loves. We learn what He hates. All of that we learn about God. Scripture is the revelation of God. That doesn't just mean from God, but actually the revelation of God. They're teaching us who He is. So read the Bible and ask, what is this teaching me about the character of God? Then, as we learn from Dr. Beakey, meditate upon that truth. I've learned this about God. Okay, now let's just think about that for a second. What does it mean? What does it really mean that God's like that? God's a rewarder. What does that really mean? If I think God is rewarder, God is a, is a debtor to to fulfill this promise, to give something to someone, why would He do that? Why would God bring Himself into debt to people, to humans? Well, I mean, is it because He gets a benefit from it? Well, no, I've already learned He's say, self, self-sufficient, self-sustaining. He doesn't get anything. It's got to be just because of His own pleasure and will. And He would give me of Himself the greatest thing, that, that, the greatest object that, would, uh, that we could have. The supreme good Himself? Why would He do that? Well, it must be because He he loves us. I can't think of any other... What does it mean that God's like this? What's implied by that? God loves me. What What implications does that have? What can I infer from this about God? And if God is like that, what does that require of me? Well, I must. I should love Him back. I should serve Him. I should do whatever I can to, to try to make it up to Him knowing full well that I can't. Then take those propositional truths. This might be good to write all this down. Take all that stuff, and we learned, turn that into petitions to pray to God. God, I, what, what a mighty God you are, you would, that you would love me, that you would give yourself to me. Lord, I see that I should be giving all of myself back to you. Would you help me to do that and show me how to do that? Use the Word to learn, really learn about God and then talk to Him about what you're learning about Him. Diligently study the Word of God. Secondly, consistent, habitual, private prayer. Again, y'all have learned about this recently as well. We saw this morning, Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord, that's past tense for seeking, and He answered me. What does that imply? But that this seeking was prayer. I'm seeking Him and He responds. Consistent, habitual, private prayer. Establish your time of consistent, habitual, private prayer. Your time, your place, set it. Whatever has to be done, set it. 
and then pray. Pray with understanding and expectation that you must have God's ear. When you pray, you go into that closet or whatever it is, you have this attitude. I need God to hear me. Not only do I need Him to hear me, I expect Him to hear me. I'm not here to go through some pagan ritual of just mouthing out words. I'm entering into the presence of Almighty God in the Spirit of God through the intercession of the Son of God. And I expect that He's going to hear what I have to say. And I need Him to hear. Hosea 14.2 says, "Take Take with you words and return to the Lord. Have something to say, you see. We talk about prayer being the, the, the cry of, of a baby or the sweat of the soul. It, something is, is pushing out. There's a need. And so I'm going to God expecting Him to hear, but needing Him to hear. Pray through the Scriptures. Again, learn, if, if you've learned a piece of Scripture well enough and you've meditated upon it long enough that it begins to come out in prayer, that probably means the Word of Christ is beginning to dwell in you richly. That's what that happens. You're not just... Talking. It's a sign that this is happening. It's working. And not, not always is it planned. Like you read a psalm and you pray through the psalm, but then you're praying and you, you pray through something that you meditated last week. Pray the Scriptures. We, we might have sweet times of prayer in our worship services. And from time to time, we even have some sweet times of prayer apart from our worship services together. But if you as an individual are not doing that privately, consistently, habitually, if you're not meeting with God privately, consistently, habitually, then there's a good chance our entire public display is just a sham. We're just doing it to say, yeah, we pray a lot. Oh yeah, we pray when we go to church. But yeah, but what about when you're alone? What are you, how, are you, how is your prayer life? Not just muttering prayers. This is my time. This is my place. God, I need You to hear me. I expect You to hear me. Here are the words that I've brought into Your presence. Now let's deal. Let's do this. Consistent, habitual, private prayer. And if you're struggling with prayer, this, that's hard. I mean, I, I'm talking about it like, you know, it's not easy. It's a discipline. If you're struggling... With prayer. I've got a lot of books on prayer that might help, some that have helped me. But the best answer is to pray. And your first prayer is, Lord, teach me how to pray. I don't even know what to say right now. I'm talking to you and I'm letting you know I expect that you're hearing me. I need you to hear me. I want to talk to you. I don't even know what to say right now. Um, Keeping lists of prayer requests and things like that would help, but that's what the disciples did. Lord, teach us to pray like John's disciples did. And he's taught them to pray. So seek Him. Consistent, habitual, private prayer. And then thirdly, seek Him in the public means of grace, in the assembly. This would be basically everything that we do on the Lord's Day, from the time we arrive until the time we leave. We gather together with a true understanding of what the body of Christ is, her parts, her functions. We all have got gifts. We're trying to use them. We gather with a true heart to minister to others and to be ministered unto. We gather with a true sense of responsibility to love, encourage, and pray for the members of this church. You can't pray for me if you're not talking to me, and I can't pray for you if I'm not talking to you. We can say, Lord, help the church. I think we should pray with specifics, take words as we return to the Lord. 
Be attentive in worship services. This is what I teach our kids. You never know when the Lord, in His sovereign Spirit, might see fit to use a word in season to do a mighty work in your soul. It, it could happen just like that. And the last thing you want to do is to be looking over here. Or, or whatever it could be. And I know that's difficult with distractions and children's, or children. The thing is, we just have to labor for it. It's a work. It's not easy. It's a work. In the Lord's Supper, the ordinances, take a real opportunity to meditate on your salvation and the death of Christ. When I say you may eat in faith, you may drink in faith, I mean that. Um, believing wholeheartedly. I mean, this is strange to us. We're not Jews. We didn't grow up with the Passover. We, we, we grew up with the Lord's Supper, but it's still, it's, it's odd to us, a people who tend to be so black and white, so contrary to anything spiritual or supernatural, that I'm going to eat this bread and drink this, this juice because Jesus told me to, and we don't know what to do with it oftentimes. We do it in faith. Faith is what bound the heart of the pagan to the demons as they ate that, ate that meat. Faith is what binds the heart to the Spirit of the Lord as we come to His table. We can't do both. That's 1 Corinthians 10. So, come to these things in faith. Keep our conversations healthy. Okay, that would go back to gospel draining motives. And I'm not saying you can't talk about anything, but spiritual things. We're going to catch up and talk, but keep them healthy. Embark upon the whole of the Lord's day as a delight. When you wake up and your feet hit the floor, this should be the day I've been waiting for. This is the market day of the soul. I've struggled all week. I wish I would have read more. I wish I would have studied more. I wish I would have been in the presence of the Lord more. Today's the day when I don't have anything else to do and I expect to receive from something from the Lord. It's just ordinary stuff. Read your Bible, pray, go to church. When we use these things with a true desire for the presence and power of God, accompanied by the Spirit of God, you will be brought into a more direct and immediate experience of God's transforming grace. Now, will that always feel like the water hose on jet two inches from your eyeball? No. Sometimes you might not really notice it until later, but He will do His work. This seems so simple, but we, we fall out of it so easily. Fall, fall out of these things or we, we fall into a routine and we're no longer seeking God. But God rewards those who diligently seek Him. He rewards us with His own power and His own presence. Now in closing, I'll give this really quick. You say, I'm doing all of that stuff. And I don't feel... The presence of God. Or I don't feel it like I did one time. Whatever it might be. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope. We don't hope for what we see. We hope for what we don't see. We hope for something we don't have. So if you are not in your ordinary use of the means of grace, when you've, when you've truly examined your heart and you say, I truly am seeking the power and the presence of the Lord... I don't have any known sin that I'm holding on to. But you're not experiencing like you think you ought. It's not promised in the same measure in every situation. Rejoice 
in the hope that someday you will experience it in full. As you labor with a true desire for God's presence, rejoice that someday all of the labor will be over. There will be no more seeking. We will just be in His presence and experience His power forever. And when you begin to meditate upon that, you're meditating upon the unseen, you're hoping in that which is unseen, that's called an act of faith. That's an act of believing that God is... And that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. You see, so even when you're not experiencing like you think you ought, then just a good, great meditation is someday I will experience it in full. In this faith we please God who rewards those who seek Him. What was... this is just thinking about this practically. What was Enoch doing? And, you know, Enoch was a great preacher. We, we have one of his sermons in Jude. Enoch was a great preacher, but what was he doing whenever the Lord took him? Whenever he went into the fullness of that experience? He's walking. He's just doing regular stuff. And by faith, he was not. That's, that's, that's a picture of what we're after. We do the common thing with a devotion for the Lord, and He will draw us along. He rewards us with His presence, and eventually in glory, He will reward us with the fullness of that presence. So let's pray, and then we'll stand and we'll sing another song together. Father, we thank You so very much for Your blessing upon our time. Father, You're, you're more gracious than, than we give You credit for and that we even know. So we thank You for that, Lord. I pray that You would help us to be diligent in seeking You. Father, I pray that You would show us that these, these simple means of grace that You have given us are sufficient if we will truly set ourselves to seek Your face. May we be found a people who are before the Word of God seeking Your face, who are in the closet of secret prayer seeking Your face, who are gathered in public assembly just seeking Your face. We just want to know You. We want, to, we want to have Your presence. We want to commune with You more. We want to draw even closer to You. We want to experience that direct and immediate, effectual work of grace that comes to those who seek You. Give us that, Father, and we praise You. In the name of Jesus, Amen.